From 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, we read the solemn charge that Paul gave to this young man, Timothy. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Paul was exhorting Timothy to do his part. He didn't hide the fact that there would be handicaps, problems, obstacles in the way to keep his job from being altogether easy. But uh, he wasn't to be overcome by that, but was to overcome these things that faced him. The other people that had these problems referred to here is... They call, uh, they referred to as they. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. When they shall heap themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is their problem. Let's hope there's none of them here this morning. Not that we wouldn't like to help them if we could. We'd like to turn people from fables to Christ. We'd like to turn them from that easy, itching ear condition to one who is eager and anxious to hear the truth, God's Word. Let it say what it does and mean what it means. We'd like to find some of them who have been listening, coasting, But for the most part, I take it for granted they're not here. Then we should preach to those who are here. When Paul talked to Timothy and gave him his charge, we can gather from that that we are at least involved in that. When he says to Timothy, preach the word, do you know? We're involved in that this morning? I might ask you an embarrassing question, at least embarrassing to some of you, if I ask all of you who'd prayed for the preacher this morning to raise your hands. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you haven't formed that habit to be sure you remember to pray for those who preach the Word of God. But do you know you have an actual part in the success of the preaching of the Word of God? How can they hear unless someone preaches? What good is there to preach unless someone is hearing? I've heard of those men that were called of God to be preachers that have gone out and preached to the cabbage patch to practice their oratory and to learn how to preach, but I... Hurry on from that first chapter, and I'll find them very soon preaching to people. 
And I hear of the response that people gave to their preaching. They were successful because they preached the Word of God. God anointed their efforts, helped them, and people heard. The news is not only that one man preached. The news is that hundreds, and in some cases thousands of people, heard and responded. Yes, there must be one who preaches. There must be one who listens and obeys. There must be one who prays. There must be all of these to make the preaching of the Word of God do what it is meant to do. Now, why do people get into a state of lethargy and indifference and finally come to the place where they'll say, Oh, I I can't abide that that straightforward, old-fashioned preaching and begin to say, I'd like to hear something new. I'd like to have it changed a little bit or a little different service at least. Well, it's true that we like variety. We like to hear one and another and a change of speakers and a change of tactics and a change of topic and all of this is interesting to to cause us to be awake and to be alert and to learn. But when it's all said and done, we aren't listening for the man. We're listening for the preacher, for the message. We aren't listening to the mannerism, and we try to keep off the odd mannerisms well enough to keep from drawing attention to ourselves as we, as we preach. But we're listening for the message. And what is the message? It is whatever the Word says. Whatever is in the book. Whatever God says. We read over in Jeremiah. Let him that hath a dream tell a dream. But let him that hath my word declare my word faithfully. What is the chaff of the wheat, Jeremiah says? What is the imitation compared with the real? What is that that will not help compared with that that will help? There's no comparison. So the truth is preeminent, must have first place. We must pay heed to it. When Paul the Apostle came to the end of his life, almost to the end, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. He said, there is therefore now a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not for me only, but for all them who love his appearing. He was talking about something that he would be given, a reward to be issued to him, a crown of righteousness. And we believe he had a a great reward because of the way God used him. But the people who listened, the people who followed, those who took up the message that Paul preached and went out and did the very same thing themselves, taught the same lessons, Preach the same gospel. To them also will come a share of that crown of righteousness that Paul looked forward to. Paul will have his proportion. They will have theirs. Because he preached, they heard, they believed, they did likewise by going out and preaching and teaching. Yes, even by your life you are preaching. The Lord wills it. I expect to be in the... Philippines the next month 
Korea and Japan. But do you know that the way you people here at 52nd and Duke accept what I'm saying today, what I've said in weeks and months past, and what I'll say in the future, if the Lord tarries and permits me to speak again? Do you know the way you receive that, what you think of it, how you react to it, will have a direct bearing upon how I can preach and what I can say when I'm way down in Southeast Asia? Now that sounds like a far-fetched idea, doesn't it? All right, go with me. How would you feel if you had a memory of some back home that did not really receive the truth, the real message of the gospel, and did not really live by it? What if when the memory of such a one comes across my mind that there's that little problem, a little, little burden, something there that, that's a little bit of a plague, a little bit of a, of a burden to bear? To that degree, one's mind is a long way from Manila, or a long way from Kabantuan City, where we'll be. Yes, because the truth, the Word of God, the truth, has been preached, and if we receive it, and act upon it, live by it, govern our every action by it, then we are a praise unto God. Our lives are a credit to the gospel. We are living epistles, known and read of all men, and we are that, whether we are good or bad. We are living and we are read. People see us. God help us then to be among those like Timothy was taken to be, some of those who would preach the word. Preach the word. The preacher's message many times is muted, muffled by the people. And that can't go on forever uh, because unless the people receive and gladly take in the whole message. I don't mean a little bit here, a little bit there, a kernel here and a kernel there, and toss the rest off to someone else. But unless the people receive the whole Receive the real, receive the depth, and let that word have its effect in their lives. Unless they do, after a while, the preacher who was muted or muffled for a while will actually become ineffective and many times disheartened and some ministers even leave the ministry because they feel that their work is in vain. No one wants their work to be in vain. I'm not discouraged, and I'm not about to quit. Don't, get, don't read me wrong on this. No one here has caused me any great problems and been trying to jive at me. No, but God is on the giving hand, and God wants all of us to hear what God says to Timothy, that we are to preach the Word by example, by our lives, by our every action, everywhere we go, all the time. They won't do it. They will say, preach unto us smooth things. They, they will turn away their ears from the truth. That's what the, Paul told Timothy, all right, that would happen because the time would come and they wouldn't endure it. They would say, no, I don't want it. That time hasn't come in the apostolic faith church by any means. And we aren't about to change our method of preaching the Word of God. We're going to do our best to faithfully keep off all the dreams not go off on tangents like that, but faithfully declare what the Word says. If we're saying the same thing that other people have said before us, other ministers who faithfully preach the gospel, if we are keeping on the same track 
And we can thank God for that. We have ways of knowing whether we are or not. One little child on the Midwest camp ground in August in Murfreesboro, Illinois, said to me, how is it that, that we always preach the same thing all the time? Well, uh, she didn't mean for that to be um, a compliment. She, she wanted to hear something new and something different. She wasn't old enough to really comprehend the depth and the breadth of this. But anyway, she got one point. We're saying it again. We're preaching the same gospel. We're saying over and over again that we must have a love for the truth and receive the truth. Unless we do, we'll never make it. Now, what is the truth? Preach the Word. If the Word teaches anything, it teaches you must be born again. Christ told Nicodemus that. Ye must be born again. In spite of the fact that many people who worship in churches every Sunday have never been born again, the ministers must not quit mentioning that. If it tantalizes people and torments them and needles them and, and pricks them all the time, that's not the, that's not the measure. The measure is that we are to faithfully preach the word God has given us, and the Bible says you must be born again. Every one of you, you who come to church here every Sunday morning and who never make any effort or any move toward getting right with God, that means you too. It means everyone, everywhere, all time, that you must be born again. Because unless you do, you'll never get to heaven. You'll never see the kingdom of God. We understand that by faith the worlds were framed. By the Word of God did that. We just by faith believe it. God spoke and the worlds came into existence. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They sinned. The whole human race was plunged into sin. So there must be a Redeemer. We must have a chance to be bought back. God made that plan. God provided that remedy by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to redeem us, to bring us back again to God. That's a part of this Word. So preach the Word. Men have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Unless we're born again, we'll never see the kingdom of, he of heaven. Even if we come to church here every Sunday, never miss a meeting and all of that, unless we're born again, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus Christ came... Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. Amen. The angel announced that to Joseph. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let the people beat their drums all they want to and go ahead and tell you you'll always be in your sins and you can never help it and there's no way out. Let them say that till they're dead. They'll be preaching a dead message. But the living message is that we can be made alive in Christ we can become new creatures in Christ, even though we were sinners, sinners by birth and by choice. We can become alive in Jesus Christ, be made anew. That's, a, that's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the message. And even though people are dead and stubborn and resi resist the truth, still we preach, you must be born again. And if you are born again, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Even those who testified to having been saved, they tell you how when they were convicted of their sins, they felt so unrighteous, unholy, and they felt so condemned because rightly they should have. They were condemned before God. Sin condemns. Sin separates men from God. And there's no way to handle that except to let the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, take it away. 
And when people testify they have passed from death to life, they tell you they were made so new that they loved their enemies. They went and got right with people that they had had feuds on with for years. Some people, they couldn't stand stand the sight of them. Even go across the street to keep from meeting such people. But when they were saved, now they go and look them up, do all they can to make amends, make restitution and confession to them that they have been wrong, that they want to live right with God, be right with God, want to be right with them, want to have a respect of everybody and have everyone respect them. That's what God does. So, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, and even doing all we can to restore that that we've robbed and taken and make amends for our doings behind us. Yes, even restitution is a part of the message of the truth of God's Word. Some people say you scare people away from believing the gospel if you preach the truth. Uh, That's not right. If you preach the truth, God will take His own Word, and He, by a miracle, will cause people to be quickened and interested and become teachable to learn what the Word says. But if you hide it, make it some easy way, try to put sugar coats on it, coating on it, try to patch it up the best you can, or they might for a while say, there's no preacher like him. He's one of the best I know, and brother so-and-so, he's, he's a great man. But brother so-and-so may be a great man, but that same brother will die one day. But this gospel we preach is eternal, and it will make you alive. It will bring you to life. It will give you new life, give you victory over sin give you power to go and sin no more. And that means really sin no more. I heard someone this week telling about going somewhere in a car with someone. And when the trip was over, they said that, well, we we made good time and even kept within the speed limit too. I gather by a remark like that that they they mean that some people that, that that make good time must go over the speed limit even when they know it's full well against the law. That must have been what they meant. And we all know this. When I was a boy, 19 years old, when I was being hauled by my brethren from a CCC camp where I was enrolled near Klamath Falls, Oregon, into Klamath Falls for meetings, I literally looked over the shoulder of the men who drove the cars to see whether or not they observed the speed limit because I heard them testify in church. I heard them say they'd been made anew in Christ that they were holy now, they'd been changed by the power of God, so I just watched to see. When you approach the the sign that said speed limit is so much, I I looked to see if the car would slow down. I I don't know different than anybody else. Someone did that this week. That, that That actually happened this week, too. It happens every week. We are watched by the world. Now, we that doesn't mean you can committed a terrible sin if you are forgetful and your car drifts over the speed limit and which one of us don't as far as that's concerned. But when we see that's happened, well, we should stir ourselves and say, I must pay attention. I must watch because the law says the limit is the limit. God would forgive you and look over your mistakes and judgment and your forgetfulness. He wouldn't look over it if you willfully violated the law. If you literally do something you know is against the law and go ahead and do it with full knowledge, don't call yourself a Christian. You're a sinner. You need to repent of your evil ways because you're not doing what God says to you. We're told in the Bible to be subject to the laws, to the governors, to the people in authority over us. The only reason we'd have to be in violation of their law would be if their, viola- if their law would make you violate God's law, then you'd have to choose the higher law. 
But our usual laws are made for our benefit, for our comfort, for our safety, for the good of our society, for benefit of, every, of everyone. So when God saves people, he causes them even to obey the laws of the land. Hunting laws, feed laws, laws of the neighborhood, the rules that they should go by here and there. He, he makes them want to. When people are rebels against God, they don't want to obey anybody. They'd thank you to leave them alone. If people testified in church that I, I love the people of God with all my heart, I rejoice in the presence of the saints of God, I am happy when I come into the house of God, if they testify like that, then you have to prod them and poke on them and push them and encourage them and cajole them to end a coming to a meeting. Say, you ought to be in church. You ought to be in meeting. You ought to be where the saints of God are. How inconsistent can that be? No. If we love the people of God, we love to be in their presence. We love to pray with them. We love to hear them testify. We like to rejoice when they rejoice and pray with them when they have a burden. We like to do our part to bear the real burden. So God help us to remember God's truth, God's Word, includes all of this. All of this is very important. Preach my Word. All the time will come when they'll say, don't preach on certain things. They tell a joke about the woman who used tobacco. And the minister, he preached very vehemently about lots of sins, and she said, Amen, Amen, until he came around and said, Yes, and these folks who smoke tobacco or use tobacco. Then she was quiet, and someone asked her why. She said he quit preaching and started meddling. Well, it, it may feel that way sometimes, because we, you can't preach a sermon of any kind at all, of any consequence, with any, anything in it, without it involving someone. And someone may uh, not like it. Someone may turn around and leave. They may leave. Well, of course they have. People revile the ministers. People talk to us and scold us and say they don't like it and they aren't coming back and all of that. I've had all those things told to me more than once, but I'm not discouraged about that. That's they. They won't hear it. They say I don't want it. They say I'm not going to put up with it. Well, that's their choice. But my choice is that I'm obligated to do what God says do. And if I'm called to do anything, it's to preach the Word, in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine, and that's more painful than preaching on Sunday morning, talking to people face-to-face, -face, talking with them about the nitty-gritty of the affairs of their life, the complications that have arisen in their families and around their neighborhood. These things are hard, and many times there's no answer that we can devise by our own thinking. It takes God to give the answer. But if we faithfully preach the word, faithfully do our part, God has promised he will prosper that whereunto he has sent it. Even if some people disregard it and say, I won't do it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to concern myself. They can go their own way. Somebody else will hear it. Somebody else will believe it. Somebody else will respond to it some way because God's promised it. God has said it will accomplish that whereunto he sent it. It'll accomplish it in your life if you'll let it. You will get the benefit of what thus saith the Lord every time you hear, hear God's Word preached. You can get a benefit from it and respond to it and grow by it if you want to. Or you can close your ears, harden your neck, stiffen your neck, harden your hearts, and, and lose the whole benefit. But even if you do, someone else will hear, God's ways are right. His ways are equal. He will not be mocked. And he said this. He's told us to faithfully declare it, not our own dreams and our imaginations, 
not our pet projects, nor our pet peeves, no, but to faithfully preach God's Word. And if we do, God's name will be glorified, and people will hear the gospel and be saved. Sinners will be converted unto God. They will hear the truth, and they'll see themselves lost and doomed because of their sin. They willfully disregard the mercy God gives them. And they see Jesus Christ dying that they might live, and yet they are dead in trespasses and in sins. So they turn from darkness to light, turn from evil to serve the living God, and in turning, they find light, salvation. They find this old-time religion. It's wonderful. Yes, Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. No matter what they do, let them do what they want to. Disregard it, turn a deaf ear to it, uh, laugh at you, anything of the kind. Let them go their own way, but preach the Word all the time, in season, out of season. That means be at it constantly, because there's no time to waste. The Lord is coming soon. The spirit, of, the power of the air, you feel it everywhere. The feeling is everywhere. Uh, there's aw awful powers in the air, present in the world today. Disasters seem to loom on every quarter. Problems of every kind. Things you thought would never happen have happened already. And we haven't seen it all yet. Damn, times are getting worse. But as they get worse and worse, we're looking for that day which draws nigher and nigher. Closer and closer comes the day when the Lord shall come. I want to be waiting, don't you? I want to be watching, waiting, watching, ready for the sound of the trumpet. When the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive will, and remain will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, you'll have to be preaching the Word. You'll have to be living the Word. You'll have to have it in your heart. Not halfway, not part way, not, not a little here and a little there, and some now and some then. No, consistently walk in the light. Let the Word of God purify you. Let the blood cover every, every avenue of your life. Hide underneath the blood. Praise God for that privilege and live so as the blood can cover it. If you do, the Lord is with you. But if you're not, then you're outside the pale of God's mercy. If you're outside this morning, why not come inside? The invitation is open to you. God says, Hold everyone that thirsteth. Come you to the waters. Aren't you thirsty? Isn't there something within you there that wants the reality that your heart so earnestly craves to obtain? Of course there is. What is that? That's God. You need God. You need God's best in your life. Why not open your heart today and say, I will. I'll open my heart. I'll let the Lord satisfy my heart. If you've been frustrated and troubled and perplexed and going here or there, right or left or um, backward or forward sometimes, why not just say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to seek the face of God. I'm going to let the Word be preached in me. Let the Word that's preached become life and grow and develop in me, and that by that very living I might testify to others that the gospel is real, and they might want it and also come and be saved. We're going to have an altar service, a chance to pray again. This is one of the main parts of our meeting. Now, don't you underestimate this, because if you just, just uh, shrug your shoulders and go away, you miss a great blessing. But if you pray, kneel on your knees in your own feet there, come around this altar and pray, but pray and ask God to open your heart that you might receive it. If you will, the Lord will answer from heaven and help you know He's heard your prayer today. Will you? We're going to sing 466. The order's open for prayer.